found in the papers of the late Jamie S. Carlton of Albany. It was a late, cold November night, a night of loneliness and isolation, a night of dark ideation and feelings of dread, when I finally fell into the abyss. I had been holding it together for months, the grounding techniques, the therapy, the supportive friendships I had made, had all held me together, kept me functioning and centered in the material world, kept me from the grasp of the endless void of madness. But that frigid night, browsing Twitter alone, I saw the dancers. And that night, dear reader, is when my mind fractured permanently at the glimpse of the true pointlessness of human life and our isolation amidst the infinite uncaring void of the universe. I watched, enthralled, the dancers' arms flailing, barely in sync as that pop song played, as one of them held aloft an oversized image of their master's grinning face. They threw their hands around their bodies in a manner superficially like dancing, yet with an inhuman dispassion that rendered every movement profane. I saw their soulless motions. I heard their craven yell, their empty cheer. And I felt the makeshift scaffolding of my mind start to break and crumble. I witnessed the death of meaning, the death of joy, and the end of all feeling in those molded, hard, plastic, smiling masks on the faces of the dancers. I saw the new, dark age of humanity inexorably approaching, the reversal of human progress, as they heralded their master and his quest to break our spirits and purge our futures an unfathomable cosmic entity cloaked as a stylish young professional. In that moment, I breached the deception of their master's human mask and saw the savage face of a psychic vampire from beyond time. In that moment, the veil of mundanity fell and I was confronted with the unbearable truths of this world. The musical ritual of the possessed dancers broke the fragile bonds of my sanity, left me a husk collapsed flat on the floor, my phone dropped beside me, Twitter open, the accursed video playing. I stared at the ceiling, reeling from the undeniable realization that all human life is an exercise in failure. I realized the overwhelming shape, the true limitless power of the abominable entities that lurk behind the fragile veneer of civilization, and that the advance of their empire is unstoppable, and they will advance with smiles, in suits, disguised in pristine human form, with a vanguard of frenetic supplicants. I stared dead-eyed past the ceiling and into the abyss of sad futility where the future of humanity lies. 
No, wait. I hear them. The dancers. They're at the door. They're coming for me. Oh, God. Oh, God, they're coming for me. I hear their dread song, those flailing arms pounding at my door. That audacious sound burning my brain as the door starts to break open. They're coming. They're coming. Buttigieg. Buttigieg. The crawling chaos. I am the last. I will tell the audience void. Because uh, uh, DiCaprio, or not DiCaprio, um, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp um, uh, plays it like a pedophile. What the fuck? Yeah, he he's like he sound he has like this like weird childish like Michael Jackson vibe to him, and he's like creeping up on all the kids except like they die in his factory instead of molesting them or something. I don't know. It's fucking all right. Weird. Oh, oh. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, I saw a take. Yeah, that was a hot take. <laughs> don't. Uh, uh, I haven't seen it, uh, but I love. I didn't finish it. It was like so disturbing. Yeah, I love the the original movie, the, the <laughs> yeah. Gene Wilder movie. Oh, um, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like just so many scenes are really wild. I was a big fan of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. You guys ever see that movie? It's a good when movie. You were a kid? No. Yeah. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. My poor mother, because I would sing the songs like constantly. I was just constantly singing the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang songs. It's about a car that flies. It's about a magical car that also loves. It doesn't just fly, David. Like in just in like a Herbie Hancock kind of way, or Herbie Hancock is a jazz musician. What was the name of that car? It's just Herbie. Herbie. Just Herbie. <laughs> I thought that's what the car was named after. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. No? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. You don't know that it wasn't. Yeah, I guess I don't. Alright, I'm gonna cut it now to, uh, thank Sean. Yes, that's okay. Please. I'm trying to make a, a monk joke, like a monk is a SUV or something. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, no, so you guys just listened to, uh, the, the beautiful creation of, uh, Sean Kelleher. Yes. Right? Uh, as as performed by Brittany Gill. Yes. Uh, thanks to Sean Kelleher who, who wrote that. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean. Uh, he spells out it's Sean dot exe, but he spells it out. Oh, so Sean. That's what. <laughs> Sean D O T E X E. That's what. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's clever. I Man's feel really. Clever. I feel really uh, <laughs> inadequate somehow that I didn't get that. Dotex. <laughs> I was uh, like, it, what? Do tex? Is it, Dotiques. I don't know. Yeah, he's uh, our director of Eldritch Invocations at Capital District DSA. <laughs> yeah, he knows he knows what what he's doing. Oh man! So, Colonel, she, I a feel Colonel like... in the meme meme wars. <laughs> Valiant. Uh, I feel like we should chill at the beginning here, right? Because oh, yeah. while we while people are still listening before they, <laughs> before they turn us off, uh, we have a Patreon. We you did can it. find it. Yeah, we sold out. We got sold a Patreon. Out. Because mostly because it's like an easier, I hate to say it, but it's just an easier way to share content. It's like, I can just upload it somewhere. I don't yeah. have to fuck around with a bunch of shit. But anyway, so. Basically what we're saying is that you're a burden. 
if you give us money, you're burdening us. No, what we're saying no. basically is I'm not organized enough to ensure that everything gets to the right person. Um, no, that's just easier. This than you. It's it's easier for them too. Yeah. So, like, what, what am I going to like upload an MP3 to my phone from my computer or like listen yeah, to it so we through have, my email? Or, it has an RSS feed. Um, you can subscribe to it and give us even a buck, a buck a month. We'll get you. We're going to do two episodes a month. So. Okay, that's it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Ironweeds. Yeah, we got two two episodes up there uh, right now. Thank you so much for everybody who's been writing to us and, uh, you know, uh, buying us coffees and just, like, really into the show. Uh, it means a lot to us, and we're excited to be able to uh, produce this extra content. And, like, you know, Patreon is, like, a pretty, you know, user-friendly uh, thing that people are using. Uh, and so we were going with it, but if there was ever to be a worker owned, like, I don't know, like less seemingly like profiteering and monopolistic, like version of Patreon to exist, uh, get at us. Cause we'd be interested in, uh, partnering with that kind of thing. And, um, you know, maybe even helping, but like, we're not quote unquote coders. So, <laughs> so, so the, the thing that I keep thinking of is that the, the actual technology Seems fairly straightforward and simple. The yeah. hard part is the financing, right? Like figuring out how to, how to make something like that run. And I think that there would be like good examples or like things to adapt from the world of like, um, uh, employee owned co-ops and like, uh, community financing mm-hmm. stuff. So looking into that a lot and, um, it seems like you could do something like an internet revolving loan fund. So like some cities, operate uh revolving loan funds and they're uh usually for some sort of social purpose and it's just like a pot of money right that usually it's uh it's like either raised from bonds right so you, you sell the city sells bonds and then it's like money that has to be paid back to people but or or there's like a big philanthropic donation or something like that and it's just a big pile of money and you uh uh lend it out in pieces like at very low interest rates and the, and then like that interest rate that little extra like you know below the what is usually asked for commercial banks like that little percentage is just used to pay for all the managing of the loan fund and it just seems like something that like you could do with a you know, if people all paid in up front to be a part of it like and and then uh you know to get over the initial investment and then like Five bucks a month, or like, where like everyone takes a small percentage. I don't know. It really just seems like it would work. You don't, you don't really need. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. you know like getting that much yeah. like, uh, labor to get it's it. It's getting off a brand. critical mass of yeah. people yeah. to yeah. use it. Too. Well, if you're going to operate based on taking a percentage of donations, you're yeah. going to need a yeah. lot of yeah donors. So well, exactly. also now that I think about it, like it's the server space and like demand and peak stuff. You really you're going to have like you hit another monopoly. Yeah. Which is server space where it's like Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, like n- something like own that. a lot of that. Yeah, like ninety percent. Like some of the biggest apps that you use are on the back end, hosted by Amazon, Google, or Microsoft. Mm. Yeah, you know, I'm talking about you know, like Netflix is all Amazon Web Services. Interesting. You know, so like even if you if you're like, oh, I don't watch Amazon Prime Video because Amazon's evil, I, but I still watch Netflix. So it's like I, probably not a like a significant portion of Netflix's revenue goes directly to Amazon mm. for their web services. So you need to figure that out too. He's like, you're just going to be dealing with like a monopoly costs of 
of server space also yeah. unless unless you had the ability to but like he's like you would need to operate a pretty substantial server yeah i, I guess hatreon is like the <laughs> the thing that you could point to as like it was like we want like patreon but with you know no uh filters on content we can be as vi- vile and uh violent as possible and <laughs> uh and they were able to like i think somewhat actually do it so like if there was like i don't know a not nazi uh, exclusive uh, version of an alternative to Patreon. That would be like pr- pretty. Are you cool. saying you're cribbing from the Nazi playbook? <laughs> I think that makes you pretty problematic, bro. I yeah, know. I guess like the question is like, well, why would you want to get off of like YouTube or something like that? And it's like, well, you know, because for the same reason that YouTube sees an interest in like having all of that traffic and like doing all of the things with that data and like um, you know having like sort of being the environment. Uh, it'd be like really cool if like we could figure out how to do that, uh, in a way that was, I guess, more egalitarian and like democratic potentially, and like not so, uh, monolithic. You ever see these, uh, uh, bands that like, I've, I've heard people do this a couple times where like bands trying to build up money for, to go touring will release a silent album on Spotify and then tell, and then like text out or, or somehow like on their Instagram or something, go tell everyone to, when they go to bed at night, stream on repeat their, their, their <laughs> silent album. Uh, and, and so they could get more money and then go tour. Couldn't you also just ask people to play your music while like ter- muting your computer? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 well, I, I think it's like, you know, just like more albums out. I don't know. But, was it like a publicity uh, stunt to see that they could get people to do this to raise weird revenue. Thing? It was just to raise, yeah, to oh. raise my. But I was, I was. It just I, that this made me think about like how could you, could you get, you could organize people to like play leftist YouTube videos <laughs> like, while they're sleeping <laughs> to like yeah. game the algorithm so um, you know you get like yeah like, if you release playlists yeah. that everyone. You, like, but the, the problem, of course, is that by definition, you, uh, those algorithms are all black box. Like, you have yeah. no idea how they work and how quickly and easily they can alter them. Yeah. So it it makes it hard to. It's you know, of course, they're thinking about people gaming the algorithm and they're constantly working against it. But. Yeah. Algorithms. I'm talking algorithms. Can Fra- I change gears? Yes, yeah. please. Oh, just real quick, if you uh, if you haven't read Frank Pasquale's The Black Box Society. Still an excellent book yeah. on on how uh, all those algorithms control your life. He's a great writer. Yeah, he's a really great writer. And a nice person. Mm-hmm. He's very a nice sweet guy. guy. I met him a couple times. He's very nice. In, extremely tall. He's, yeah. So do you guys want to hear a very big brain take I saw on Twitter this morning? Please, please. Uh, making fun of the Pete Buttigieg dance is anti-gay. It's anti-LGBT. Wow. Mm-hmm. is. It's the least gay dance I could think of. <laughs> yeah. So in the replies to this tweet are all these people that are like, I'm gay. Don't you fucking associate me with that like honky shit? I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I would I, uh, know what to, to say to somebody if they told me that. I think like, she also what, mentioned what? to like rope, you know, people of color into the same argument. Oh no. Which like a lot of the responses were like, have you seen the people doing the dance? Like, they're the whitest people in the world. Making fun of white people dancing is not yeah. not racist. Oh, I, yeah, well, pretty, the, pretty pretty galaxy brain. I also saw one that said it was uh, ableist too. Yes, because uh, it it the, I remember I remember this very specifically. It says because it was designed to be done in a wheelchair, which then immediately made me think of like 
Pete Buttigieg in like a dark conference room with his McKinsey associates that he's like rounded up like at the beginning of Blues Brothers where he's like, you gotta get the band back together. But it's like his McKinsey friends and they're all like, we must create a dance that is, uh, perfect, is like perfect for identity politics. It's just like the perfect identity politics dance. And then like, we'll get it, we'll get everyone to do it and it'll become a meme both to love it and to hate it. What, what and then it will spread, do? and my poll numbers will go up, and that's exactly what happened. I, I think I made this argument, like, days ago, <laughs> that that is exactly what this was designed to do. Yeah. Same with the leaked memo that, like, black people won't vote for him because he's gay. Like, all of that is just, that was done on purpose to, you know, just drum up any kind of attention for the campaign. But and it seems it's, like and bad, it's been very it, successful. But it yeah. seems like bad attention, though. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, yeah. You, wouldn't you think that everything that got covered about Trump in 2016 was bad attention? Well, I think that it ultimately comes down to the the thing that I've talked about before, the good cop, bad cop problem in America that like the, if you were to use as an analogy, like the Democrats play the role of like the good cop and the Republicans play the role of the bad cop and like politics and, and representational politics is like a type of interrogation system where they use varying tactics of being like either appealing to you as a your buddy or like being incredibly aggressive but like real and like mm-hmm. honest and that the problem with america is that people don't all identify with the good cop like they yeah. like about half of us identify with the bad cop because like the bad cop's like not full of shit it's the one that gets things done getting yeah, stuff you know? done it's like legitimate about its intention in operating in a way that like you know makes sense with those material concerns like punisher you know, logo challenge coin yeah <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, you're, you're going for it you yeah. want it you want that challenge coin yeah it, like you, you want to beat up a suspect in disney world you know get the get the disney challenge coin and a lot of the people <laughs> who identify with the bad cop are people who largely like the actual material outcome of the current like police state and like um you know uh situation we have culturally and they see the bad cop as necessary to bring about what they see as the righteous continuous like status quo that like ought we ought to defend and like you know valorize and so they actually identify with the bad cop so i think the whole thing about trump and the way that it hit bad press for him doesn't do what the liberals keep thinking it will is that he's like, I'm the bad guy. You know, he's like, he's like, you know, see, it's the, uh, the scene in, um, in, in Scarface where he's like, see, you need me. You need to say, he, he's the bad guy. You know, he's like, okay, so I'm the bad guy, you know? And like, that's very much like, (laughs) he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, like I grabbed America by the pussy and I fucking, I, I, I did it as best I could, bro. You know? (laughs) And I fucking won, bruh. You know, like, and, and people see that at how disgusting he is and how like overt and like dispassionately like vindictive he is and everything. And they're like, yeah, I straight up fucking identify with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that that's like being a, 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 like a man. That's what he's making America look good and proud. And like, you know, no one's going to fuck with us and blah, blah, blah. So, like, so if, if you make a, if, if you use that analysis on Buttigieg, then, like, is it the people that... I, I assume Buttigieg it scratches that itch for people that, like, just really get off on being the reasonable person in the conversation. Yes, oh, in terms absolutely. of right? his, like, denial of social programs. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Like, being the, the thing that he would 
be responsible for bringing about and championing and not being like, well, yeah, let's well, like see if it potentially works, you know, like let's create a system that by, you know, it's very obvious nature will be self handicapped and like basically fail and create way more frustration and distaste for the idea of like public healthcare system. Yeah, no, you I, know? I just imagine like people that are just like are really, uh, into, like never, never seeming like they've gone too far, and like they're just like, well, you know, the, the person that says like the answer is somewhere in the middle, like re- like reflexively every every time they get into a conversation, and just you know, just generally, you know, like he's a, I, I like Buttigieg is a CIA plant, and the fact that <laughs> the fact that uh, Chapo Trap House keeps <sighs> doing the high hopes dance is further proof that Will Maneker is a CIA agent. Oh, yeah, we're here to hear it. You're here to hear uh, Right? You know, it's part of it. It's all part of it. It's all together. <sighs> uh, so Trump is like begging for this Senate uh, trial. Yeah, but he's a win. He right? knows he's going to yeah, win. Yeah. Which is exactly what anybody with half a brain would have predicted at yeah. impeachment. Yeah. And it's of course, it's so great that, that he would just be like, yes, I de- put me on trial. Like, right? It's like when you know that you're going to win. Like it's it's a perfect setup to. He's just, already admitted yeah. to have done it. To have yeah. done it. Yeah. So yeah. I mean. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like it's good that we have institutions and norms, and they will protect us against demagogues <laughs> and power grabs. And you know, all we have to do is like basically trust in our betters that they do, in fact, know what is best for us. And then it'll all work out really well. And I'm glad we're doing it with the with Ukraine thing. The thing that constantly reminds you that a democrat was also involved in a quid pro quo and that, that both sides do it i'm glad that we like pick that could you explain that a little bit more i haven't really looked into depth about it like is biden and or his son like implicated in any like quid pro quo is that what you're saying yeah i mean like, like he, he made like, like millions of dollars working hunter biden made fifty thousand dollars a month being on the board of some ukrainian <laughs> Whoa. oil company and in exchange, they knew that, like, they, like, there wouldn't, Joe Biden would be their friend. Like, that's, so wow. it's very straightforward. Yeah. And that was what Donald Trump was trying to find. And, and so, like, that's what, that's what Nancy Pelosi and her infinite wisdom decide, like, that's, that should be in the headlines every single day is how Joe Biden bought his son a, a seat on gas, on like a gas company in yeah. the Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and because it's a straightforward argument, right? But, but, but it's so, like, well, you could have a straightforward yeah. argument about like detention camps on the border. Like there's like so many, like the whole point of like the cruelty that Donald Trump makes is that it's very straightforward. All, all of it is very straightforward, yeah. you know, I, and, but they pick this instead of yeah. also like every single person that deals with the white house has to stay at a Trump hotel. Yeah. Are you telling me that that's not straightforward? No, but it's because of Saudi Arabia does it, and yeah. like she doesn't want to piss off Saudi Arabia. But Ukraine is fungible. So, so to take it back just a little bit to what we were talking about with the analogy about the good cop, bad cop thing, I wanted to think, I was thinking about how you t- turned it a bit on its head when you brought up that Buttigieg is the bad cop saying, like, we can't have Medicare for all or whatever. But it made me think more of, like, he's playing, like, the good cop. Like, he literally... You know, he's like ex-military. He's like looking to be the, the the head of the executive branch, and he's like, 
actually, I think everything is going to be fine. That our, our systems, you know, bend toward justice. And like, yeah, you know, and, and he's yeah. like, you know, I'm well, like, you, you, you know, what we really need is like somebody who's compassionate and smart and is going to like have an open mind about, you know, the world that we're, you know, going to have to share together and blah, blah, blah. And like, he's very much being like, look at who you're dealing with here. Like that guy that just roughed you up and like left the room. Like I'm your one hope. To keep him from coming in here and fucking you up. But you See, gotta I don't work know. with me I think, here. I think it's more actually that he plays off of Bernie's, uh, like what he sees as exorbitant promises that mm-hmm. people who are fiscally conservative, yeah. because keep in mind, yeah. like a lot of people who vote Democrat are fiscally conservative and they only vote Democrat because they find, you know, the like white supremacy of like the racism and misogyny that comes from the right and think, well, I can't bring myself to vote for that. But like that's Buttigieg appeals to a lot of those people. Yeah. Um, well, I guess what I was trying to say is that you can see it from multiple angles that that sort of good cop, bad cop thing and how you can flip your identities from it because you can be at the same time like a liberal centrist and be like, oh, like I identify with the good cop, the one that's like, you know, the Obama, for example, exemplified the good cop personality to like a T for yeah. a long time. You know, he was like basically saying like, look at who I have to deal with. Like, I'm your guy, but like, you gotta help me, you gotta right. push me to do the right thing. Well, the idea is essentially like, if you, if you are reasonable, then you and I agree. You're reasonable, right? Yeah. And, and, and they're like, well, yeah, of course, everything that I think is reasonable. And yeah. so like, re- the reasonableness will prevail. And that's, that's what sort of what I think he represents is, you know, like sort of norms, which are, very, which, you know, under, understandable that like, that's like a, a comfortable thing you want to turn to after, Donald Trump, you know, so, yeah, so, but it's just, you know, but it's socialism or barbarism as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and and I, I, yeah, like I, I sympathize so much with the American though. That's like, we shouldn't have to do the government healthcare. Like we should, you know, like there should be like some type of market, like option where I could like buy into the government healthcare or whatever. Like I understand that argument so well from like the user, i.e. voter standpoint, like it, it makes, you know, a certain intuitive sense, you know, like if, if they're, if the government was like, listen, we are going to be the ones to make the best soda. It's like, all right, make it, put it on the, the shelf. And like, if I buy it like, and I taste it and I like it more than the others or whatever, you know, I'll go with it. Um, like from a, a, a user consumer end of like healthcare, it's like, yeah, sure. Like that makes perfect sense. But when you think about it, even for a second on like how the actual market system would work and how m- the public option that is going to purposefully end the profiteering from the healthcare distribution system in America, that is such a fundamental threat that you're going to use every market like app mechanism you can possibly think of to like destroy that thing. And I'm going to lobby against it. I'm going to like, you know, you know, undercut it and we're going to like figure out how to make it like, it is such a threat and it's yeah. now like an open threat and like we're going to kneecap it as much as we can. It's like you have to overcome all of the opposition to a national healthcare system to like be able to put it in, in terms of like that opposition's functional ca- capability of destroying it and having there, it in a market competitive system, like doesn't do that. Yeah. Well, so there, I think part of it is nefarious in that sense that like people will actually lobby against the success of a program like that. But then there's also just like this kind of less malicious part, which is like in, insurers are make the most money or have the fewest expenses, the larger the, their pool of people they're insuring is, right? Mm-hmm. The stats work out that way. And so it, there's no way that a public option 
you know, a Medicare public option can compete with private insurance when they're still covering a smaller like pool. You kind of have to have like critical mass for a program like that to work. I mean, just like any other government like service, if you if only poor people have to use it, it will always suck. Like that is just like a fact of the system. Yeah. If you don't have the rich and the poor, you know, this is why the argument about like, I don't want to send Donald Trump's kids to college. You're like, none of that makes sense because if then you're like, oh, okay, so should we private? Then you can work just as easily backwards and say, oh, should we privatize streets? Should we privatize? Right? It works in both directions. That you're like, well, if it, oh yeah, so if I shouldn't pay for rich people's stuff, then that means we should divide that stuff up so that different people get different options of that thing. Yeah, create yeah. income right. segregation. Yeah, in, yeah, it actually, other... yeah, that that le- that logic actually works backwards just as easy as it works forwards. So it, it really just throws into but, question I mean, all it, universal. And it's very base. I don't, I don't want to pay for Donald Trump's t- kids to go to college. But like that's a, no, he would be paying for your kids to go to college right. because he would be getting taxed a lot. Yeah. Like that's. And if going to college just was not an expense issue that like people who are moderately well off, uh, had to deal with, then they're not going to attack that system. They're right. Like, that like system we're in the as, same boat. Yes, like you, exactly. You want that thing to be, it's all in, it's in everyone's interest that that thing be good. Because he says, yeah, as soon as you can let a rich person opt out of that system, they use all of their power to, like, concentrate their money. Because, like, it's their kid, right? These are, like, very basically, like, they're going to give their kid the best stuff and they have the most money, so they're going to do it. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, even under a universal program, the rich could still do that just by going to other countries and yeah. seeing, like, the world's best doctors and paying for it. Mm. But, you know, it's a start. Yeah. It's a start. It is a start. And, uh, it, it, you know, somebody was making the argument the other day about how... Even given its political capability and practicality within the apparatus that we have right now to like be enacted, you know, like if, like we're going to have a, a, a right wing judiciary shut it down as unconstitutional, like immediately. Yeah, probably. yeah, yeah. You know, which they've already done. Did you see Ruth Ginsburg is Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in the hospital again? Oh no! Yeah. Of course. I think she's supposed to get out today, but yo, it's 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 such a like twenty levels of ideology that people are not mad at her. For not resigning during the Obama administration. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. whatever. I guess, you know, Mitch McConnell might, might, wouldn't have let that happen either. I don't know. Well, he didn't. I mean, Obama didn't yeah. get to. It's possible yeah. it just would have been another, another. justice that yeah. he wouldn't have been able to appoint. Because yeah, that's, mm. that's, how, that's how government works now. We... Yeah, it's but fortunately we have all of these reasonable Democrats running who will reach across the aisle and you know just get still, bipartisan legislation yeah. passed. Yeah, yeah. P- play the play the oldies bipartisanship, you know, triangulation. Did you guys watch the debate? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. kind of it boring. Was, it was the worst debate by far. Is it now they they're just like so full in full tilt into uh like hide Bernie. It's oh, how are they show. hiding him? I wasn't they, they watching. Just, so. They don't ask him any questions. Mm-hmm. They don't. Uh, they don't ask other people questions that they should be asked that would make them look bad against Bernie. You know, it's it just very like straightforward. Like for example, uh, they did one about uh, lock him up, like people chanting "lock Donald Trump up." Yep. And they're like, is this is this the same thing as telling like saying that Hillary Clinton should be locked up? And then they go to Bernie Sanders specifically and they say at two of your rallies, your crowd has chanted, chanted, lock him up. Like, do you condone the idea of basically, you know, like being an, you know, 
jailing your political opponents is like basically how it, they're just like you socialist dictator you is the obvious subtext and, and was it, he like yeah lock him up no like, i'm gonna put no, him in jail no, i'm gonna i'm gonna cook him which put you, him in a stew <laughs> He should be because he should be. the president does something illegal. Yeah. They should go to jail. It would yeah. be it He's would like, be wildly popular for him to say that, <laughs> but he doesn't. Um, but the uh, but whereas meanwhile, like Buttigieg again doesn't have to answer for the fact that he just like lied to a bunch of people about how black people in South Carolina love him. He doesn't have to uh, apologize for having a sexy photo taken of him at a Holocaust museum. No, he had to do like, it to him. <laughs> <laughs> do it for the gram. Yeah, it had to do it. You know, like none of that. Like they never have to. None of them have to answer for anything. Can you imagine? Can you fucking imagine if Bernie fucking Sanders had sent out an email soliciting an an opt out email soliciting <laughs> like the support of yeah. you know black Georgia voters, and, and it turns out that the list is forty five percent white, and that uh, it's just people who didn't respond to your shitty email that are on the list. And one of them already endorsed your opponent. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. But yeah. Speaking of which, if by listening to this, you've already, we, you know, we stole all of your credit card information in advance and you're in our Patreon. You have to respond to us and opt out of it. But you have to respond to us before this episode airs. So if by the time you're listening to this, you haven't already responded to us. It's too late. Yeah. But thank you for your support, and yes, we appreciate it's really it. really important. Yeah, thank you. We couldn't do it without it. <laughs> Can I bitch about this crepe thing really yes, quick? Yes, please. please. Yes. Speaking so, of There's a great injustice identities. has been done. So I'm laying in bed last night, can't sleep, looking at Reddit, and I get an email notification. Uh, congratulations, your Grubhub password has been changed. And then I get an immediate... Uh, email that says, thank you for your order. You know, your your order will be ready at... 105. It was in the middle of the fucking night. And I go and I look and somebody bought a $16.47 Nutella crepe in Manhattan at 105 in the morning. And they didn't even get it delivered. That's just a $16 crepe. And they went out at 1 a.m. to yeah. buy, to pick up their what $16. What kind of creperie is even open at 1 a.m.? The city that never <laughs> sleeps. So to that person in particular, <laughs> fuck you. Uh, I had to call Grubhub. I've had to call them twice so far. Yeah. They don't, they can't tell me how my password got changed. Yeah. I mean, that's they, usually the, what they should do is they email you a link and yeah. then you have to, but I never got my email account, never got a link. Wow. This is somebody on the inside. This is right? a Grubhub employee it's that's like figured job. out how to like hack people's accounts and then go and physically pick up the, um, the, the food, you know, though they, they just made, their one mistake. <laughs> they had a flawless crepe plan executed. You know, they, they, they've, they've digested this lovely crepe. They think they're in the clear, but they forgot about the surveillance state. The surveillance state. And you, think, now, you think we can get the tapes? Well, I think what you got to do is you got to figure out where exactly this creperie was. Then get the, their security footage, which is going to be really grainy. And... Then you're going to do that thing that they do in CSI where enhance. they like zoom in. Yeah, and enhance. enhance, right. Yeah. And then you're going to reverse Google image search that, you know, person's face, whoever they are. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be able to find where they live. And then you're going to find where they're going to be. 
And, and you can get all up in their face about this motherfucking grave situation yeah. and just be like, who do you work for? Like yeah. just keep yeah. demanding that. And then, you know, try to figure out like why they, why they, they're doing you so dirty. I love it. Yeah. You know, we're going to find out, you know, who really loves Nutella crepes. Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Oh, shit. What if Jeffrey Epstein is running around New York, like, buying weird, bougie foods on people's stolen Grubhubs? That's one way to, That's one way to eat and, you know, not have a paper trail if you're just, I'll, like, yeah. you know, buying on random people's dime. Uh, speaking of, Epstein's, the guards who were responsible for watching Jeffrey Epstein while he was incarcerated uh, have... I believe now been arrested and are being charged with falsifying records. Whoa. Yeah, cool. I know, I'm well. so glad that we could like close the door on this uh, terrible time in our history. I'm wow. sure that we got them folks. It was these em. two guards. It was their fault. And I'm sure nobody else, uh, either above them in the carceral system or on the outside with lots of money. I'm sure that none of those people had anything to do with their, yeah, um, certainly not a uh, war hero from the Falklands fucking war. Uh, <laughs> that 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 guy had nothing to do with it, I'm sure. Uh, Look, if he can't sweat, he did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, <All> yeah. Right? <laughs> he's just like so valorous. <laughs> if he can't sweat, he wasn't wet. You know? <laughs> done. Like, done. So if so, if you guys aren't like incredibly tuned into this uh, and wondering what the hell we're talking about, um, then uh, you're not an American <laughs> or, or a Brit uh, or a Brit because uh, Prince Andrew um, has recently been kicked out of the royal house, so to speak. Uh, the tabloids said something about uh, how he's know, retired from public life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and basically he voluntarily did this completely. um mystifyingly odd uh interview uh you know where amongst other things he explained that he was too noble uh in his uh interactions and judgment of jeffrey epstein to like recognize his, how how bad he was and like that how it wasn't a good look to like it was an honorable it was an honorable act to stay with jeffrey epstein yeah yeah he was i just... think because it was convenient for him i think that was like literally i'm not even joking i think the argument was it was honor it was the honorable thing to do because it was convenient for me to crash at his sweet sweet place yeah it was also really convenient how there were constantly children who he was just giving me to like you know uh have my ways with yeah it's fucked up it's it's hard to laugh it's hard not to to keep from crying because it's like so much so fucking ugly of a situation but these guys are just so over the top with how absurd it all is i can't believe he went he got that interview he was talking about how he couldn't sweat during the time that this uh, this victim of his was alleging that he was like really sweaty and gross in this one description, he says, "Oh, actually, that was during a time when I couldn't sweat because at that time I can sweat now, but like at that time I uh, was uh, had a PTSD induced uh, non sweating problem because of my heroism in the Falklands War while like under fire." That's incredible. That is it's just so amazing. So bizarre. We were just talking today, David and I, about uh, college kids coming up with really weird excuses for not being able to, like, come to class or turn something in on time. Yeah, yeah. But that's, like, that takes the cake. Yeah. Like, weird yeah. Uh, college student-style explanation for things. And you know that there is some English professor somewhere that has m- written lots of tweets about how annoying it is that, that their students, like you know, give uh, all these excuses about why they miss class, but then is also uh, very tut-tut about 
uh, people who still do Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy theories because you have to be reasonable and, and, right. and like, you know, we, like the, this, the Clintons aren't behind that. And, uh, and then they're like, see, look, Andy can't sweat. <laughs> like, like, clearly this is a very, well, he couldn't at the time. Yeah. He yeah. couldn't at the time. Now he can. You know, so he worked that shit out. Yeah, you know, she's like, like see, it's not see your- when when you <laughs> when you're a good liar, you don't come up with these very specific things. Like he was sweaty, <laughs> or you know, <laughs> yeah, no, whose think- grandma dies? Really, <laughs> no one. Yeah. So basically, somebody tweeted this link to this Cartoon Network video called Teen Titans Go which is a reboot of a show that I watched a little bit back when I was like in college and watching cartoons still (laughs) or something like that. Maybe uh, before that, maybe like in, in late high school. Um, But uh, anyway, the um, plot of the episode that was retweeted was the gang decided to get a rental income property. Like Mm -hmm. you do. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, just a couple friends, <laughs> you know, cracking some cold ones. Children yeah. can really relate to that too. Yeah. It, like, you know, this childhood, sh- uh, ch- <laughs> you know, this, this is child friendly, uh, show, uh, which was itself like a peanuts version of like, you know, um, like the original show, which was like a little bit more even like handled things seemingly in more of an adult manner. Mm-hmm. Like they were talking about, um, this this was Robin basically saying like this would be a way to make money, and at the end was is saying like this will be for when we're old and we have expensive uh, medications and stuff. Oh God, are you <laughs> yeah, serious? No, yeah, it's, it's really dark. This piece is some of, boring dystopia shit. Yeah, yeah this is a great well, subreddit. Well, yeah, this is like a a, a piece of dark uh, capitalistic propaganda, like specifically geared to like I think a very young kid audience because every time they get into these topics that are incredibly dry and don't belong in a children's cartoon show, like equity. And building like, uh, and having like a, uh, a, a, an exchange or an APR and like a mortgage time, uh, amount that will eventually pay it off. Did like then- Prager University I can tell you exactly what happened. What happened? They learned their lesson with Rocco's modern life. Ooh. Oh. They raised a whole generation of like anti-capitalist you know, little, little rapple rousers with Rocco's modern life. Oh my gosh. And now they the have pendulum. to undo the damage. Yeah. Like, what if the mall does suck? <laughs> what if, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. What if bosses are awful? Oh, yeah. Mr. Big Head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah, I think you might be onto something there, but yeah, this is a very bizarre episode that, uh, I was, I like put on, I wasn't watching the whole thing. I was like doing some cat or something. So I like listened to it, but it was, um, very disturbing in terms of what actually happened. The kids basically like get taught by Robin about the uh, idea of basically not working and like profiting off of other people who work and need a place to live by owning that thing that they need and charging them a profit um, off of what it takes to keep that space for the purpose of like generating wealth from them. And Holy like, shit. yeah, and basically says that uh, as soon as they get it, he's like, oh, I got bad news. And then he's like, what? He's like, this is a rent controlled property. And they're like, you're not serious. No, I'm totally That's serious. Not no, no I'm telling you, this is totally a thing. And and he's like, what does that mean? And then he's like, it means that they're paying below market value for these like rent. And he's like, 
and that is against the free market and is a, a crime. And, he, and he's no. like, and they're like, well, why don't we just evict these people? And he's like, unfortunately, they have rights. And he gets like all mad. And then he's like, but that doesn't mean we can't make it, you know, easy for them to leave or something. And then they proceed to go and attack all of the tenants, like physically, uh, using their superpowers. But it so happens that all of the tenants are like, I guess villains from previous episodes and they're like living in like this like broken down kind of like slum like uh, apartment and and so uh, clearly like being a super villain pays really well <laughs> yeah yeah they do it for the love of the game yeah and so they then just basically whoop all these super villain slash poor tenants that are living in rent controlled housing out of the housing and then they're like all right now we can like charge a higher rent or whatever and like you know it, we, so they do a little bit of a fixer upper thing so they like do a fixer upper and then they're trying to charge higher rent and they end up uh charging to like the cool kids who are also the ones that are like breaking the law and doing like vandalism like over on the other side of town and they have like no problem with that uh, okay, it, this is just like beyond bizarre. Yeah, this it's very, is... it's very, very, very weird. <laughs> so, so I just, want, just wanted to say, like, I'll, I'll link it in the notes. Uh, go check it out. Uh, you know, make what you will of it. Um, it's an artifact from a very sane, healthy culture. Um, and, you know, like, uh, who knows? Maybe it'll all work out for the best. And maybe, you know, like being confronted with these, um, Market realities as a child, uh, in some inane way, um, will what somehow we do to make children these kids days be is okay. Like so bizarre. Like that. So I, if I can just go on a brief rant yeah, about please. Elf on the Shelf because tis the season. Mm. Uh, if you like Elf on a Shelf is some creepy ass <laughs> shit. We're preparing like, you for the surveillance state. Yeah, yeah. preparing <clears throat> you for the surveillance state, ho- holding the threat of like material goods that you will or will not get depending on if this creepy elf watching you all the time thinks you deserve presents. What the fuck? Is dude? that what it's about? I have no idea what you're talking about, except that it was, it's a game where, uh, parents move a elf to different, like, spots so that a very young child is like, oh, it's moving itself or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's basically the elf is sent by Santa to watch you and make sure that you're good before what? Christmas. And so what? the parents move it around so that the child thinks that the elf is alive, but only moves when it's not looking at it. What? Yeah. So it's, and then I saw this thing. It was what? a news story of these parents who brought their child's elf on a shelf to the hospital because it fell off the shelf and got broken. <sighs> and the hospital like treated the elf for injuries. Yeah. I don't know. We live in a strange. If you were like working a front desk and like a parent came over and was like, Hey, we're trying to like, you know, like pull one on our kids about like, can you pretend to like administer some aid to like this elf that like fell down? Like our child's like worried about it or something, you know, it was like, will you play along? Uh, what would you do? Uh, if they slipped me a hundo, I would absolutely play along. Yeah. Otherwise, get the fuck out of here. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would not, say, like, have really. you looked at the rising healthcare costs? Do you think we can take 20 minutes to, like, <laughs> play, to, like, fulfill your weird, like, family <laughs> surveillance state? Like Which makes fantasies? Me, so no, did go, they build, get the fuck out of my hospital. So did they build the family? That raises the question. Like, how much did these people spend for this elf treatment? I wonder. I don't oh, know. It I, just begs a lot of questions. Yeah. But uh yeah. And then, so we're doing that to our student, to our kids. And then also these fucking shooting drills. 
that they have to do all the time when they're really young. It's really fucked up. Y'all, we gotta, we gotta do better by these kids. They can't be getting capitalist propaganda in their cartoons and shooting <laughs> drills in their schools. They're putting in the cereal, man. <laughs> fucking getting yeah. watched from November and December by a creepy little porcelain thing. It's not right. Yeah. yeah uh, the, is the, it a porcelain sh- thing or is it like, it looks to me like a felt thing with like a wire armature. Yeah, yeah I've seen some of them were like rag dolls or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of different kinds. Yeah, I, I, I would, yeah, the, the school shooter drills are too much. Much yeah, rather, that shit's much, crazy. Yeah, I'd much rather go back to like when I was a kid and we had bomb threat drills. Right. That's oh, yeah. fun. Yeah, but yeah, they're fun. They're a little bit more like amorphous. They're like, because there was never a bomb, you know, and, and, just, and like anyone can throw in a letter saying I have a bomb. Yeah. And it just, you know, like got you out of a test or something. Yeah, we had a ton of bomb threats. Yeah. We like, did too. Yeah. And they were really fun because yeah. we all got to go out to the <laughs> fucking bleachers. But like the solution to the bomb threat is just like, get the fuck away from the building. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> <laughs> but the solution to, the solution to like an armed active shooter in the school is like way more fucking scary and traumatizing to even think about you know like oh like no like put the barricade thing that we have on our school doors so that in case we ever are the uh victims of a coordinated like militant attack we can like barricade the door with like that's yeah and you have to do like some sort of like tauntine like certition thing where you're just like who gets to put the barricade at the door and put their life on the line for like you know your shitty english class they, they, like that they te- sucks they teach the four <laughs> graders to just do a human wave attack be like hey, they can't shoot all of you like you know like they do active shooter drills where like they have like the kids at a young age they realize that like they're way more mentally pliable so like this is the time for, to like you know get that collective like you know uh um, uh, like assassin training, like yeah. in real cheap. So they teach all the little kids. They to, like, spray their mouths with like silver shit. And they're like, witness me! And they just like run into it. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, sorry, gotta, you sorry. have to laugh because if you, if you don't, you'll cry. Yeah. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. It's really, really <laughs> fucked up. Sorry. 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 Yeah, no, it's really horrible. We, we live in a society that is. No, we don't. We live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't, I guess. Yeah, no, it's fucking crazy. Uh, what else do we got? So, speaking of disturbing things, I don't know, that could be the bridge to everything. Um, uh, 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 I got two. (laughs) By the time, uh, this episode comes out, we'll probably have, uh, uh, my commune essay had had come out. Uh, if you, if you subscribe to commune magazine, uh, the print magazine should already be at your house and you have, uh, you'd have it in there, but it's, uh, I have something on, um, it's sort of like about we work, but it's generally about co-living and co-working facilities in general and understanding why uh, capital invests so heavily in them right now. Right. So what is a co-living? Tell us a little bit about co-living. Yeah. yeah. So co-living and co-working uh, are essentially creating a Spotify for uh, land, right? So instead of buying whole like albums right you pay a subscription fee to a whole catalog and what co-working facilities where like you rent a desk like for a monthly fee or something like that what you're really doing is you are paying a subscription fee to a suite of facilities and services right and as in the the growth strategy for a lot of these businesses the most popular being uh we work or the we company which you know it's 
spectacular cult explosion. <laughs> like, it was basically a cult that tried to be sold on the New York Stock Exchange and failed. But uh, more on that later. But, you know, like the idea is essentially you have these um, global networks of workspaces and, and places to live uh, more uh, often. Or increasingly, they're also getting into uh, where you can live. Uh, you know, you, you just rent a subscription fee to this whole network of buildings across the world, uh, to live in and work in. And they're like furnished and yeah, like, isn't part of it sort of like nomadic. You don't ever have to have a couch because like, you don't have to have to move a couch from New York to LA or anything. Right. Yeah. So there, there's like, uh, uh, all of these, all, all of these companies have names that either definitely sound like a cult or definitely sound like some like post rock band or something it's, like, it's weird you know there's a, they're like common or pure you know there's like the names of all these things and uh and yeah you you, you get like for like the the market rent for some luxury apartment you instead get just a room and maybe like a private bathroom uh but then there's like um a public kitchen like a communal kitchen and uh uh and, and they they provide all the furniture and stuff like that and for a little bit of like you know if you give them a little bit of notice you you could pack up in new york and move to la and have like a new fully furnished like little rental single occupancy unit in another completely other city right and uh, the argument that i make in the essay is that this is actually the missing piece in the gig economy and it and it creates what uh marx called a double freedom for workers. So workers need, uh, according to Marx to do two things. They, they, or they have to have freedom from, from two things. One is, uh, uh, time, uh, their, t- their own time. They have to be able to freely, uh, sell their time into, uh, to create this sort of uh, amorphous, uh, abstracted labor time, right. That, that the whole workforce, it makes up. So you, you have to, so you have to be free from time other than to, to work. And then you also have to be free from any other obligations other than work, right? So, uh, so you don't have ties to, uh, a family bloodline, which pr- keeps you on, on a specific par- uh, parcel of land or something like that. You're just like, the, you, capital demands all these different freedoms that allow you to move at the speed of, of capital, right? Of money. And, and, and so the, this actually frees you up from like saying, you know, like, Oh, my company wants me to move to Seattle. Well, like I have to sell my house. I have to, you know, do all these things and it's hard to move to a different city. But with these services, you can, it's just so much easier to pick up and move. And so so it really does seem like a way to free up labor when you've destroyed uh, all the other things that make labor able to fight for itself. Right. So, in the the fifties, we switch from a mostly renter society to a mostly buying, like mortgage society. Right. Uh, in the thirties, we offered a lot in the in in the New Deal. We offered a lot of uh, public housing that often went to white working class people. But then, when uh, they created the Federal Housing Administration, we offered mortgages to mostly white working class and middle income families. And they use those cheap loans, those mortgages to go buy houses in the suburbs. 
And that was a pacifying force. That was because we had a very, very militant and well-spread 40% of the workforce was unionized and they, and they were using strikes very effectively. Uh, and so what you had to do is pacify that workforce and you do that by making them owners of property. Because if they're owners of property, then now all of a sudden they are, their uh, material interests are aligned in such a way that they have very conservative values. Well, they also aren't as liquid in the form of being able to up and move as right. you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And, and that is a willing concession that oh. capital makes to pacify labor. Right. So instead, so now you have a house. And now because you have a house, one, a lot of the work of maintaining uh, where you live uh, is privatized. Whereas if you like lived in an apartment, maybe every, you know like part of renting the apartment is also spent on groundskeeping. You have a super, you know. There's like other things that uh, you know, like, a, a lot of work uh, upkeep of of where you live is a socialized activity. But now mm. you've privatized it, so you have more stuff to do. Mm. And this is actually what the Levitt brothers, the that made all those different Levitt towns, some of the first mass-produced suburbs. Um, they were very ideologically driven capitalists. And, and said, these, so these are, these are de- suburb developers. Yes. So okay. in, in Massachusetts, Long Island, I think in Philadelphia, they're all places called Levitt Town. And these are, uh, yeah, some of the first, uh, suburbs and the Levitts are, are their, uh, developers. And they were, they, they would give, uh, interviews in magazines where they would say, like, no homeowner has time to be a communist. You know, they'd say stuff like that. Yeah, and 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 it ain't wrong. Yeah, it ain't, it ain't wrong. <laughs> Where's right? the yeah. lie? Where's yeah. the lie? <laughs> yeah, and like da- and like David Harvey attributes actually mass home ownership to the the way that the United States working class got very very conservative. Hmm. But hmm. now that uh, we the capital is effectively you know defanged organized labor, it's now cu- uh, safe for them to free up the labor pool more so that it can be as responsive to capital. So, uh, so, you know, instead of, uh, keep locking down families to a particular place where they would spend their whole life at a factory and then get a pension and leave, right? Instead, you, you have people that take lots of gigs and you might as well free those people up to take gigs in a larger geography. Don't just, lo- don't create local markets, create a global market because that is how you would get the lowest prices of of labor is if every every single person is capable of competing with every other person right right so the race to the bottom is global and every other you know aspect of um you know the the market society like is as widespread as possible yeah yeah you know i wonder if you know no home homeowners are too busy to be communists i wonder if the always on like work culture that we've developed especially for people in the gig economy you have to be ready to answer an email at any moment, you have to be, you know, you have to be ready to work 60 hour weeks because you're not getting paid very much. So I wonder if that kind of serves the same purpose that we, that, um, I, I don't know, like that distraction from building worker solidarity by having to maintain a property. I feel like we've replaced that in a lot of ways that are potentially even less, like at least owning a home is gratifying. Right. But like having to answer an email at 1130 at night. It's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, well, and, and you can see like in places like France where they'll make it uh, illegal, they'll like make companies shut down their email servers when, uh, during off work hours. So like just like stop. Which rules. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Right. But, the, uh, uh, but on, uh, you know, on the flip side, I think also like the rent into or um, 
subscribe into networks of stuff instead of even just renting that a, a specific thing also means that now um, all everything that you interact with and rely on can be turned on and off very easily and quickly, right? So if like if you lose your job, it's not like you're amassing wealth and like oh I could keep yeah. you know like I could save a little bit and be able to afford rent for a couple months or something like that, which almost no one can do. But you know it's still like theoretically possible. Well, at least, but if you do this sort of network spotification of real estate now it's like as soon as you lose your job it's like health insurance right where you it gets gets shut off right it's a monthly fee you can't like save up for any of it because it's just such a big monthly cost Mm. that yeah it's like it it's just a way to to make you just that much more reliant on constantly getting money so that just so that you're a pass through to another capitalist. So like your right. your boss gives you money and then that just passes through to another capitalist that rents you all of your stuff. And there's also all of these new companies that, you know, like maybe Common didn't give you everything that you want to rent for furniture. There are now companies that will just rent furniture and like household appliances and stuff. So you can rent those too. Yeah. And mm. clothes, you know, like yeah. rent the runway. Wow. So, I mean, the, the, the real problem I see with all this ultimately just comes down to the extractive aspect inherent behind all rents. Sure. And that, like, if this were done in a way that didn't have that, that it would be, like, actually pretty, like, decent and good. Like, you know, in, in a way that, like, you have a lot of freedom to work wherever you want and you really only need, like, a little bit of space. And if I try to think about, like you know, when people talk about like a vision for the future and like sort of doing things, it's like, well, we'd want to like use a lot of materials in common, like, and, and spaces and stuff. And like, you know, there's a certain aspect of that. So like, I, I get like a lot of the tendency to go in this direction in terms of like actual working conditions for people. Like, Absolutely, you yeah. know, like I see the value to the worker of having like a sort of just access to a bunch of different spaces and you can use what you use when you, d- you need it. And like, I could imagine that hypothetically being like way more efficient than like a bunch of offices. Well, have you ever, like, have you ever read the dispossessed? Yes. By Ursula Le Guin? Yes. I mean, that's essentially what that housing yes. setup right. is. And yeah. it's a worker's yeah. economy. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it's an anarchist worker's economy. Yeah. And so but to me, like that's, and the flats that they live, you know, the like apartment style that they live in mm-hmm. is very, um, it's very Sparks. Soviet. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. very like, yeah. I shouldn't maybe so I shouldn't say Soviet like it's a slur or something, but yes, it's very Spartan. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and it, it and it's very and because it is a very efficient yeah. use of you know uh, resources, of, of resources. And, uh, whether it's labor, whether it's uh, cleaning, whether it's heating, whether it's cooling, whether it's just you know desk space and having like a, 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 a amount of indoor built environment that you're maintaining to like maintain it. Like you want high utilization for high efficiency and. Uh, like, I think that that's generally pretty good, um, as like an approach. But the, 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 the thing that, that, that freaks me out is like that it's at the end of the day, like a massively profiteering uh, operation that right. needs to grow. Yeah. It's almost under... like capitalism ruins everything. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, I guess, you know, how, how, how do we keep that baby? Drain that bathwater. Drain that bathwater. Drain that bathwater. Keep the baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one thing, one, or there's two things, right? So one, it really does illuminate how close it, uh, eco-fascism and worker 
anarchism is like 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 those things are pretty materially materially pretty close uh it's only when you either socialize the value that is saved and and created through you know like reducing individual material needs or whether or not all of that value goes directly to like a couple people right so th- that's one thing but then the second thing is actually this few things that do change and how those will not redound to cost savings or efficiencies right so probably one of the more terrifying things that i uh, found when I was doing my research on WeWork and just this, I, you know, since I was doing this research, WeWork has obviously fallen apart for anyone that, that fo- follows this stuff, but. Which is what always happens. Yeah. By the time you're finished with research and publication, sure. it's, you know. But, but the, the important thing to realize is just because that one very well-known company is sort of like the wheels are falling off of it. Mm. It's a very, very active industry that is growing extremely fast. And there are actually a couple of companies that have just like three letter acronym Names that are almost as big and are much more well capitalized and just run very well, but they're just not sexy the way we work, uh, tried to be. But, um, so this isn't, none of this, all of this is still valid, even though maybe the most well known company is, is falling apart. Exemplar of failure. Yeah. But, um, the, the, the second thing is like we work and here's the most terrifying thing is that they, um, had a program that they described themselves as being part of their, climate change readiness program Mm -hmm. because everything that we work says they they all say like this like completely wild shit the 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 ceo that was just taken down adam newman would say stuff like um you know like he wants to be the first trillionaire and president of the world (laughs) and like wants to like bring normal things to say yeah yeah and and, and it's very and, and like he would just like drink enormous amount of tequila out of the skulls of his enemies <laughs> for real <laughs> yeah. Tequila too. Yeah. big tequila drinkers yeah. you can yeah. watch out for them man. yeah but so, so here it is the, the this terrifying thing this climate change initiative is all about keeping track of people within cities and being able to include and exclude people within a specific boundary so it's pretty what? easy yeah so it's pretty easy to imagine okay imagine this right you subscribe to a service like Amazon Prime, right? And Amazon Prime not only gives you access to uh, video content and one-day shipping and server space, but also half your city can only be used if you have this Amazon Prime subscription. So, like, the grocery store, you can't even go into the grocery store Unless you have this Prime oh. subscription. You can't... It's like some snow crash. Yeah. Shit. There are public restrooms. <laughs> like, there are public restrooms. The thing, you know, like, uh, that, like, you don't need to directly pay for a specific service to get them, but you have to be an Amazon su- Prime subscri- uh, so, subscriber. Yeah. Th- right? I wonder how they, like, they come up with the mechanisms to, like, whether it's turnstiles or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, it could, it could be anything. That's almost inconsequential right just keep your phone on you and and there's like a beacon technology that yeah, actually yeah. already exists that only is used to serve textual yeah. uh, contextually relevant ads but could also be used for opening and exiting things uh they we work bought the company meetup which is like the oldest like sort of web 1.0 uh service like um that just like lets you organize in-person meetup groups yeah yeah, right? yeah, yeah. you know 
they bought that company early on. They bought another one that would just like pay attention to how people used conference rooms and could suggest like the best way to schedule office meetings in different rooms of different needs. And just like all these different ways of tracking people to optimally yeah, use yeah, space. Right. But it's also very, you could also imagine a way that you could create this layer over a city that lets you basically provide a premium subscription service to an entire city. Oh. Uh, and that, that's what I think Uber, Lyft, uh, WeWork, or whatever uh, comes up after it, all of these companies that right now offer convenience will eventually switch over to offering uh, the provision of public goods uh, uh, on a service-based model. Like a tiered, a tiered model of different class subscribers to like, you know, bars, like there's like a different section of like any given establishment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's uh, TSA pre-check. It's, you know, like all, uh, it's all these. Yeah. That's yeah. the craziest you kind of pay thing. More, you're right. It's like, yeah, yeah. Which is very obviously like saying like, no, if you're rich, you're fine, right? Yeah, like, right? Like, if you can pay to get past security, then it's very clear what security is actually there for. And, you know, it's not to, like, objectively see if you have a bomb or something. Well, you, know? you don't just... I mean, you pay for it, and then you you also pay for, like, a like a more complete background check. Like, they do, yeah. they do things to ensure that you're not, like, a security risk, whatever that means. Basically, you're not Muslim, and... Yeah, but it's one time. So you could go, you know, past... Their, no, I think their... you have to do it. It's yearly. Oh, it is? Yeah, I think it's like uh, somebody wants... To, I, you know what? Here's something that's weird about it, too, yeah. is that I've asked multiple people about it, and uh-huh. each of them has told me it costs a different amount, which Ooh. makes me wonder. Yeah, Maybe it does uh, cost a different but, amount yeah, to different right? people, yeah. yeah. It's, already, like, like, it's already a tiered subscription. They're like, model. actually, there's like a bunch of marks on your record, so if you want to get this thing to cut the line at the airport, it's going to cost you, like... Five hundred. It's a shakedown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a more institutionalized shakedown. Right. Yeah. So that that's the that's the piece is basically Mark. You know, Marx predicted this <laughs> that you know, capital requires people to move a lot more quickly and freely to uh, uh, more efficiently allocate uh, abstract labor time. And do you think that this will lead to some type of reaction from that condition being better for capital, but worse for people that then would, you know, swing the pendulum the other way in terms of dissatisfaction, you know, unionization or organization? I mean, like, I mean, hopefully there is blowback and and like people like recognize that 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 sucks. But the the other thing that, you know, uh, Marx pretty brilliantly predicts is that these freedoms are often piggybacked onto like very legitimate, important freedoms, right? Like women being able to work, right. And liberalizing gender disparity, for example, right. In like, like making everyone an equal player in the workforce, right. Like equal pay for equal work. These are all obviously good things Mm -hmm. where like you extend rights to like civil rights to more people, but at the same time, those civil rights are also used to create parity in the workforce and drive down wages. And right, and so you like the ca- the capitalist always finds new ways to pit working cl- different subsections of the working class against each other. Well, first they carve out those subsections and create categories like race, and then they uh, pit them against each other in order to drive down wage costs and a bunch of other things make no mistake so. that's all there's also like 
it's also totally, I, it, everything is ideology, right? Yeah. Was, um, but there is still like a lot, like a, a palpable resentment, uh, among men for women's like access uh, to workforce. Yeah. Access Absol- to workforce. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, like very explicitly, you know, when I was doing my research for my dissertation on, um, the red pill and there, that was like a theme that came up very often, this sort of basically that women had wrecked the economy by kind of being selfish and wanting to be independent and not be domestic. In a way they like, they saved the economy, right? Because they allowed for an ever expanding amount of workers and consumers and, you know, from a, from the perspective of capitalism. Yes. And that's yeah. actually part of where, you know, some of my research was that a lot of these like very misogynist ideologies were just misplaced class resentment that like, you know, you're being fucked by the system, but you don't you you have a mis a fundamental misunderstanding of like the ways in which you're actually being fucked. Like you imagine you're in a room and like a, a five people and one of these five people are going to get the job, and then the the boss walks over to a door, opens the door, and five more people come in, and instead of blaming the person the boss that opened the door and reduced your chances by half, you instead you blame the five new people that came through the door. Well, and like, you know, so it's mis, that's, you know, the part of the misplacement, right? Is that right. you, yeah. you're, you're, even though they have the same, uh, interests as you do, right? And you should organize against that to the one person that is artificially restricting the stuff that you need. Yeah. You know? but, yeah. And then when you zoom out one level on that, it's like that one person is just, you know, operating in the selfish motivations that our system proselytizes are the, f- fundamental driving of all good yeah. and philanthropy and, you know, mm-hmm. commonality in the world. And they're, you know, playing the game by the rules with a strategy to win it. Yep. And the winning is like capital accumulation and power. And it's like to not hate the player and, but to hate the game is like, fuck, like, you know, how, you know, Ultimately, the, we got to figure out a way to give a better option yeah. to people yeah. so that that's not the game that they choose to play by, you know, like, um, yeah. And I mean, like this ties back to like what we were saying about Patreon at the beginning of the episode is like, if you can create, it's not the tech, these technical or, or what are perceived as like tech companies, right? They're not tech companies or like the technology is ancillary or like redundant to, some new value arrangement of like moving around how money is moved and spent and like what is the modern, uh, commodified uh, and what isn't, you know, and like that, that's the, what has really changed. And it's usually just like venture capital, like burning huge, massive piles of money to break up some previous, uh, industry or which they say disrupt, right? Either an industry, but also like social conventions and culture. And then once they've sort of over saturated, whatever it is that they wanted to change, then they become the default option. And then from that perch of power, create value and pay, pay themselves back. Right. So it's like, it's a brilliant business model because once you destroy all of the competition by offering a, a really good service at a really low price, now you've destroyed cabs, for example, and you can raise your mm-hmm. rates to fucking lift drives that used to be $7 drive now are, yeah. you know, 16 bucks. Or just yeah. continue absolute domination and market share when you completely eliminate cab drivers entirely. 
And you just like have automated cars and it like, I don't even know if they'll want to actually own the cars though. Cause like, that's like a whole new game oh, yeah. that they'll well, have no, to get no, see, into. That, that's the other thing about WeWork and all these other yeah. companies also, they never own their property. Not a single one of them ever purchases the building that they run at, so that they're running they in. That? They lease it. And then the, everything that you do is a sublease. Of, oh, so uh, they just literally pass yeah, the buck. Like, yeah, so directly. these companies have oh, have wow. made it so that so all they... of the risk is on uh their their landlords and their and it's, so as soon as something so goes just wrong, the they can just liquidate everything. Everything yeah. can instantly They're just disappear. the environment. They're just yeah. the app. Yeah. They're the they're uh, the background uh terms of agreement by which yeah. they've pulled everybody together that has baked into it an element of like as acceptable as possible uh profiteering yeah yeah and so they and they can just like disappear and liquidate things as quickly as as they need to because really all, at the end of the day all that they are are like a brand a recognizable brand and a slush fund and they can just and it just moves around to the benefit of capital like whatever so, they can destroy yeah. or inflate or deflate the value of that's all that it's meant to do so when people invest in in we work on the stock market or whatever or they i don't even think they went public no they, like, they, they well see this is the other weird thing is that so thanks obama um in 2012 uh they made it legal to uh confidentially file for the uh for to be on the public new york stock exchange or really? from, from the stock exchanges it's called an S1 document. It's this huge portfolio of all of this information that a company gives over to the stock exchanges to say, like, here's our book. Basically, here's our books. This is why we would be a good investment and in this for these particular kinds of investors. And it's a very, it's, it's big. It takes years to put this all together. Um, and, but it also, and it gives like unprecedented access to what these companies do and how they do it. And it was, and it's always been a very public process for obvious reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if everyone is going to invest, if this is going to be a big part of our economy now, like everyone should be able to look at it, including independent reporters and government officials and all that stuff. But then, uh, Obama in 2012, I believe, in order to spur investment in a struggling economy, made it possible to confidentially file all uh, that, that document. And since that, the vast majority of new companies on the stock exchange have have filed confidently. Uh, Uber and Lyft, all confidential, like uh, uh, Airbnb, confidential. Um, But we company, public. They they did it publicly, and that and that's when people would see graphs that were that had no label on the x and y axis. And it would just be like a, an arrow up and they're just like, and it, it would be like labeled value or something. It would just be like completely, <laughs> that is like not, that's not an exaggeration. They were it, literally produced by like second graders. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it would just like, and then like the, the, the arrow would cross a line that would just be, that would labeled profitability. Like that, that, I'm serious. That is like this entire document was Do just Do you have any like images? Is there and, like any images we can... I, 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 I'll go back and find it. So, uh, there's something in, um, the Financial Times. There, it's called Alphaville. Uh, it's a fairly good, like, blog, uh, like business blog. And they have a, an article, I'll, we can mm. link that, where they just, like, go through the S1 and find all of these wild statements about how, like, like, the, the whole document is, like, dedicated to the dreamers or something. Or is it, like, not, not like the dreamers as in, like, people who, like, want DACA, but, like, they, like, 
it's fucking wild it's it's like a religious document it's so weird oh like a subset of people they're calling the dreamers that are just like the visionaries yeah, of the future or yeah something. yeah yeah and, uh-huh. and and like uh they, they said that the company's mission uh i'm gonna try to remember this verbatim is um oh yeah is to raise the world's consciousness huh that's that's what, what? the company that's what the company said it, its actual goal was to do actual goal is, is to... proletariat revolution and <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah uh yeah so the uh but the the idea is that like this it's not just this one company that is just like really spectacular but this whole industry has a very specific purpose and it's to uh break up a uh, land tenure and you know like access to land and how much of your life is predicated on credit and a constant stream of of money putting more, making even more things not only commodified but subscribe subscribe to and uh and that um helps free up labor in a way that uh makes it a lot more responsive to to capital and uh uh and and all this information technology is really just subservient to that it's not like breakthrough sensing technologies or network technologies none of that is very revolutionary Mm. cool so, uh, what's the name of the article, David? Yeah, so it's it's in Commune Magazine, and I believe that the title that it's going to be running under on the li- on the website is um, "Against We." Okay, so we'll post a link to that yeah. in the show notes, and you can read it. And congratulations, David! Thanks. I know this piece was a long time in the making. Yeah, so. yeah, it's a, it's a couple months researching and and writing and a lot of editing, it, yeah. it, but it it turned out it turned out really good. It has a bunch of fun. Uh, pop culture references too. Yeah. That was fun to add do you, in. Do you cover all the anecdotes of like the obscene things that they do during like company parties and stuff, like after laying off like thousands of workers, um, like throwing a party where they have <laughs> run from run, run DMC, DMC come out. K- K- yeah. And he's like, yo, 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 it's tricky. New vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. yeah they, they had a place specifically. It's tricky. As in, like, it's tricky to fire half your company. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, my God. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. It's He's tr- also, like, the nephew of Gwyneth Paltrow, the CEO. Re- really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it, it, thought, so the, the goop you, vibe stuff is, like, very much there. Yeah. I thought I thought you, when you said Gwyneth Paltrow, the CEO, I was like, so not the actress? I mean, <laughs> is there another Gwyneth? Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I bet she's the CEO of something. So here's something nice. Oh, for a I like change. Nice yeah, let's end with something kind of nice here. Two Canadian agricultural producers, they own a dairy farm, and oh, they're saying, nice. yeah, and they're saying that uh, through regenerative agricultural practices have brought back a thriving bee population to uh, their farm. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. And it's specifically, so regenerative agriculture is essentially like trying to use practices that this kind of relates to like the rent war, anti-rent war stuff. I, I managed to relate everything back to that, but it's like a, it's an agricultural mode that tries to keep the land fertile and sort of better integrated with a sort of quote unquote natural uh, ecology. And so part of this practice for these farmers was planting lots of different uh, like local flowering plants that bloom and die at different times so that there's kind of this constant life cycle happening in the soil of um, like rot. It's bringing back like important bacteria that live in the soil, but it's also bringing in like a huge bee population because there's all of this good stuff for pollinators to take advantage of. Hell yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. 
That is really awesome. So uh, plant wildflowers if you can. Our plan next year is to like kind of seed bomb yeah. a huge part of our yard with yeah. wildflower seeds because yeah. it's we have a, we have a lot of grass. We have a pretty big yard with a lot of grass, and I so don't really want let all some that. of it go to meadow. Yeah, that's what I'd like to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, mow- mowing is very zen for me. Like I, I I get very Hank Hill and just zone out mowing, and that's uh, I I enjoy that, but I also don't like the the like the cost of a lawn. I don't know. It's yeah. like, like the like the ecological cost of yeah. a, of a lawn, and it looks stupid. Yeah, when we lawns uh, are stupid. Our, the college David and I went to a new college of Florida. Um, they uh, they took a huge chunk of the school's property that wasn't developed, and it's right on the main pathway that you take to get to all of the academic buildings down the center of campus. And they took one whole side of it and allowed it to return to like a. Um, it's a, it's a pine scrub. Yeah, like so the they, area. Yeah, so they, they let just it, let, they let it rewild it. Big, it. Right. Yeah. They just rewilded the, so instead of just having a bunch of grass and like palm trees, they turned it into an actual pine scrub, which is a native Florida ecology. Nice. And yeah, it's really, um, beautiful with the, when the couple of times that we've been back, it took a long time for it to really turn into something remarkable. Um, but last time we were there, it was really gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. But, I've seen like all kinds of owls there and yeah, ospreys all the time. A lot yeah, of, beautiful camp. but for the first like two years, they were trying, to create this, they kept accidentally mowing. Like they, like they kept fucking up and mowing. Oh, and so shit. it actually took a lot longer. Remember yeah, they like, fucked up all those expensive trees. See mowing is Zen. You just get so into it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I have a little, uh, double lot property here where we record and I have like, uh, some raised bed gardens and some, uh, bunch of berry bushes and, uh, four apple trees and, um, uh, I also have like a little patch of like grass. That's like, a, I'm keeping a lawn. And uh, so I mow it and I mostly mow it just so that weeds don't keep growing up because essentially like once the weeds take off, they grow really high. They just look gross. And like, ultimately I don't want to get my neighbors like hackles up. So while the area that I have, that's like just ground, I've like seeded with like a grass. And it's like the first time I've like had a lawn of my own that I like have, you know, the sort of civic duty to maintain to a certain level of like, um, you know, uh, nice grooming. (laughs) It fucking sucks, dude. I hate it. The first two, like the first two years we were in our, the first year and a half in our house, we had so many, we still have so many weeds. I'm sure it'll be back in spring. We have a really serious weed problem. And I know our neighbors hate us for it. Yeah. But if you, if you get dandelions, apparently there's like a, a stage where they're really good food. Like, you know, you can, uh, get the greens and cut them up and like eat them. The greens uh, are pretty, but yeah, they're fine. Yeah. Like, uh, but, but the, uh, the thing I also want to say is my, uh, future in-law, one of my future in-laws, um, has, um, a like horticultural, like nursery, like landscaping kind of like business where she um, does like landscaping for people and focuses a lot on uh, native plants. And the uh, way that she and uh, her her husband, uh, Emily's uh, father, um, have maintained the property that they have uh, is like with all native, like, you know, stuff like letting it rewild and having it be a specific type of meadow. And I think that that's good, but there's certain wildflower seeds that you can have that can like, you know, be invasive species and cause trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But as I was talking to her one day when we were out on a long walk, I was like, well, you know, the invasive species of today is the native species of like 
a hundred years from now, you know, Ooh, and that's, that's like, good point, it's Chris. like, it's like dark, but like, that's ultimately, I think the way that it works out is like, you know, the, the ecology will be changed by what we do to it mm-hmm. now that we have like agricultural methods. So this regenerative agriculture is like a specific way to try to be like net positive, right. In terms of the, the effect to the land, um, and potentially even like carbon negative, like one of the things we had been talking about off mic was uh, that sometimes regenerative agriculture relates to levels of like meat, you know, production, like cattle and stuff. Yeah. Like um, these are, this is a dairy farm, but yeah. Yeah. And there's some like people who uh, uh, eco- for ecology reasons advocate for like having certain areas of land be like grazing land because it, you know, has the capability of building soils uh, through, you know, manure and breaking down uh, the the plants that are, are there. And just um, that that's one of the reasons why we have like such a fertile, like, uh, you know, great plains Mm -hmm. um, is because that used to be, you know, grazed by Buffalo in like a way that For thousands of years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or eons, you know, yeah. it's like crazy amounts of time. Um, it's a lot of bison poop. Yeah. yeah. And that, those are big animals. I don't know, if you've never seen one in person, you really can't appreciate how enormous <laughs> a bison is. It's pretty ter- kind of terrifying. Just like looking at it. Yeah. It's like this like tiny walnut brained animal has this gigantic body. So if you can't get a bison for your yard or a couple <laughs> yeah. of dairy cows, uh, you can at the very least plant some wildflowers. Yeah. yeah. And that's and, what the show's all about. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's pretty much for certain now that, that Roundup and all of those petrochemical fertilizers are, and, uh, well, I guess they're repellents or something, like, are definitely killing the bee population, right? Is that, we're like, sure of that now? Like, we knew that there the bee population types. was dying. But everyone's like, we don't know why, but it's pretty definitely like Roundup, right? Yeah, there are certain types of fertilizers and pesticides that we know are poisonous to bees. To bees, and I think during the Obama era, the regulations were passed to keep certain ty- like I think it's like neo. Oh, I'm not going to get it right without yeah. looking it up. But certain types of fertilizers, especially. Um, but Trump has undone a lot of those regulations, right. so now it, which is which like if nothing else just makes it harder for a consumer to know whether or not a certain product because i've been tempted to get our yard chemically weeded we have dandelions out of control but oh, yeah. if they hurt the bees i'm not doing it you know there are like a bunch of different kinds of bees yeah like yeah. like hundreds mm-hmm. and they look and they all look awesome like every single bee looks cool there's like these metallic green ones yeah i've seen those yeah did you see was this a reddit post that you saw maybe that, yeah okay yeah, I, I don't know about y- y'all. I want to like being around bees more than I actually like being around bees. Like yeah. Whenever I'm around bees, I'm like, there's something about the way that they move that's so robotic and drone-like. Like they hover, but they'll like s- hover exactly in one spot and then like, boom, and they'll like yeah. sort of zigzag and like look at you and like, and the, the fact that they're half their body is like obviously like weaponized. Like, you know, like hornets and stuff, like their whole lower abdomen and like, you know, like big, uh, uh, what do you call it? Stinger. Dong uh, is what the movie <laughs> I was going to say. Big dong. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't, see, like, I'm not, I have no problem being around a bee, um, but hornets and wasps and yeah. that, like, I will fucking freak out if one gets near me because I've been stung by them a few times yeah. and it sucks. Yeah. Like, and some people have worse reactions to it than others, but. Yeah. Some people will straight up die. Yeah. If they have like adrenaline shots or whatever, it's in EpiPen like that. Yeah. Um, 
magical fluid that bees friends wasps fuck off (laughs) Uh, yeah we really need bees don't like them bees can have a little salami bees can have a little salami (laughs) hell yes david (laughs) (laughs) well they they do most of those uh those hive uh insects need protein at the end of you know in fall to build a nests and winterize so sometimes they do need some salami or cow fat or something I always see bees on dead animals. Yeah. 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 They need it. It's a protein. Yeah. It's like bees and hornets and, yeah. and wasps, yellow jackets. Hornets and wasps. Is, but like they feed almost, they feed pretty much primarily on protein. Oh yeah. Um, whereas bees, you know, mostly it's Sugars. nectar and yeah. All right. Well, All right. That's we have a Patreon now. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening. Um, we have a Patreon. We're still going to keep buying me a coffee too. If you'd rather use that. Uh, if you just want to do a one-time thing and we don't have any tiers on Patreon. So if you give us a dollar a month, that's all it takes. Yeah. We may end up doing that later, but I don't know for now. Patreon takes a larger chunk of flesh if you end up doing tiers. Yeah. But we might have, we have some fun ideas for stuff we might do in the future. We'll keep yeah. it posted. Yeah. yeah. It won't just be like, you know, we're going to try to do two bonus episodes a month, but we'll try to Find some other things to do, working on some other stuff. I was thinking about like a book club, like a, like a book club would be fun. You know, like where you do an episode or yeah. talk you about You still a need book. to do your Twitch stream where you give, do a Twitch stream tarot card reading. Yeah. 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 I want that so bad. Or no. <laughs> we'll do it. Soon. Soon. Maybe. Okay. Maybe in the new year. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm thinking about, thinking about trying to do some sort of cooking video. Spirit cooking? Or no, we're like, uh, uh, Maybe talk about uh, Jewish communism while making bagels or something. Like oh, that. you make some pretty killer bagels. Yeah. Uh, we'll, uh, so, yeah. We got all kinds of content. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? We're gonna think oh, yeah. about Who knows what's uh, let, let us know if there's something that you would want to pay us to do. I don't know. No, yeah, I take that back. <laughs> 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 wow. We are really in the gig economy, aren't yeah, we? Yeah. 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 Uh, if you- <laughs> Telling 200 people, hey, if you have any side gigs for me, like, let me know. Yeah. Just uh, like, I'm, just yeah, I'm pretty handy. Work. Yeah. Like, uh, I can do a lot. Um, Three ounces of bath water, $10. <laughs> liter of bath water. <sighs> guaranteed chlamydia free. $10. <laughs> Good lord. All right. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Iron Weeds Pod. You can find us on Instagram. Iron Weeds Pod. Do we still update the Instagram? Yeah, from time okay. to time. Yeah, typically, we, we uh, put out um, uh, a different graphic than we uh, typically put on the um, the website. Uh, and yeah, we just... Yeah, nice. we're, we're on See, the gram. That's quality content. Yeah. yeah, we're on the gram. And you can send us an email at ironweedspod at gmail.com. We read every single one. We do. We do. So thanks for everybody who's already uh, support. Oh, and rate and review the show too. And if you do send us a screenshot, I'll send you, I'll send you a fun bonus episode. And thanks again to Sean for uh, the awesome uh, intro. That was was really great. Yes. That was was really awesome. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye Bye -bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.